This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hello, everyone. My name is Erin Trelore, and I am the host of Raw Beauty Talks. We're taking you behind the highlight reel of the world's biggest influencers and wellness gurus to get a raw glimpse of what beauty, health, and wellness look like in today's world so that you can feel your absolute best in your body and in your life. I hope everybody's day is off to an incredible start. Please pour yourself a cup of coffee or a tea because today we have Mary Jalkowski joining us today. She is the creator of Mary's Cup of Tea. Hence the fact I said, get your warm beverage, sit your butt down. We're going to have some incredible girl talk today. And as always, I want you to leave these episodes with tools to support you in loving yourself more deeply in really healing and repairing your own relationship with food and your body. And we could not have a better guest to be joining us to discuss this today. Mary uh, recovered from an eating disorder. We're going to talk a little bit about her journey back to wellness, which is most likely ever evolving and changing and shifting. Um, Mary started her Instagram account, Mary's cup of tea, which is how I discovered her and her incredible story and voice, which is touching so many women. She's a published author, a TEDx speaker, woman's self-love retreat host. And I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your day to, to sit down and to have this conversation, Mary. Hi, Erin. Thank you so much for having me. I love the tea reference, the hot (laughs) beverage. I wish I could change it to Mary's cup of hot beverage because I drink all the hot beverages all day long. It's just my thing. It doesn't matter how hot it is. I live in Arizona and we're always drinking something hot. You're you're still down with the hot beverage. Okay. So right now on my desk, I have my hot tea with my collagen powder and I have my coffee from my husband who just popped one in. I've got all the hot beverages. What are you drinking? Uh, hot coffee right now, but you're just like me. Like you need multiple beverages at your Always. desk. That Always. is me. Glass of water. I have an empty can of LaCroix right there. Yes. Yeah. Whatever boyfriend comes brings me. It'll just. <laughs> I love how you call your boyfriend boyfriend. All of her Instagram posts just refer to him as boyfriend. What, does he have an actual name? <laughs> um, at times. Yeah. If I'm mad at him. No. <laughs> Um, yeah, his name is Stan. We just recently uh, did a little reveal because for two years of our relationship, he was completely private and for the most part hidden from my social media. And so I started calling him boyfriend just because I was sick of saying my boyfriend. Um, and I think it's hilarious. Um, it's and so, so he good. kind of embraced it. Yeah, <laughs> it's so good. And he just seems like the biggest sweetheart. I was reading your post I feel like it was your anniversary or something. And I was yeah. like, wow, this is just the cutest couple ever. And, and just seem like they're both so supportive of one another mm-hmm. in a real way. We all know that yeah. there's a lot of like couple posts out there where you're like, is it really that peachy? Yeah. But yeah. yeah Anyways. Sure. Okay. Let's dive in. I would love to hear a little bit about your story. I mean, I obviously know it, but for those who are just learning about you right now, what was it that inspired you to get started on building this Instagram community, writing your book? Where did it all begin? Mm, I suppose it all began when I was 
like 11, that's like the tough part of the story, not the Mary's cup of tea part of the story. But I started struggling with body image, like right as I hit middle school and middle school is really tough on me and my mental health. Although I didn't know it at the time, because when you're that young struggling with some early onset teen angst, everybody kind of brushes it off as it's just a phase or it's just middle school. And I think there is some truth to that. I mean, clearly we grow out of some things, some toxic behaviors that we have in middle school and high school. Hopefully we do. But there are a lot of things that are just kind of more deeply rooted, I think. For me, that was like my struggle with food and my body. And that turned into like a full-blown eating disorder, although I didn't know it at the time because so many people around me were restrictive dieting and so many people around me were obsessed with their weight and losing it. And I think we just live in a culture where that's so normalized and then almost glamorized and encouraged. So I always thought that I was just being a perfect girl. And to me, I joke that (laughs) to me, being a perfect girl meant three things, pretty, of course, we hear that when before we're even born, like, oh, she's gonna be so pretty, smart, you know, because we're feminists now. So mm-hmm. <laughs> we need to be smart, we need to get that education, straight A's, I definitely got really, really obsessed with my grades, which both helped me and harmed me uh, in different ways. And then the third one is thin. I think most young girls grow up in a world telling them that they need to take up as little space as possible. And so, yeah, that just really escalated in high school. I started getting really into fitness because this was at a time where, you know, we were not thin necessarily. We got to be fit and have that kind of perfect body and have the perfect curves and abs and that whole thing. And so I got really into fitness and I started competing in bikini fitness competitions when I was 16 years old. Personally, I think that should be illegal for minors, but it is not. And so I stepped on stage after, you know, dieting for years and years and especially intensely right before leading up to this show, started winning trophies, did another show, social media started growing. I was personal training. I got a sponsorship with company owned by GNC, which at the time was like a really big supplement company. And things just started kind of taking off in the fitness world. But behind the scenes, I was really, really, really struggling with what I now know to be bulimia, which again, has always kind of been there since I was 11. But fitness just gave me like a very socially acceptable way to cover it up and pretend like I was fine when I wasn't. So at a certain point, I hit, I hit like rock bottom And I decided, I don't know, something inside me, there were a few things leading up to it. And I can talk about those turning points, but something inside me just kept screaming, like, you can't do this to yourself anymore. It felt like my body was fighting against me. It felt like all my willpower had been depleted. It just, you know, my binge eating, the binge eating aspect of bulimia just started Mm. really, really affecting my day-to-day life, like to a point where I was skipping school because I was sleeping so long because the night before I was in a food coma and obviously my grades were suffering and all my relationships. And I was just, I had all the signs. And so I started seeking help. I took a very unconventional approach to my healing, but the first person I suppose I saw in my healing journey was a naturopath who told me that, Hey, your hormones are all out of whack. Your thyroid is suffering. Your vitamins are so depleted. And she would give me like vitamin B 
IV bags and vitamin C and whatever good stuff. And those would last about an hour and a half, right? You have to like sit there on the drip and she would just sit there and talk to me. And that's all I needed at that point in my life. And then eventually I ended up moving out of state and into Canada, actually out of the country. And I found a lot of healing just by getting out of my old environment and surrounding myself with new people and fresh air, quite literally, because, you know, there's lots of mountains in Canada and I was able to wear big sweaters and not feel just so ashamed of my body because I think here in Arizona and especially on the West Coast, you're, are you on the West Coast? I am. Yeah, I'm in yeah. Vancouver in Canada. Oh my gosh, that's right. That's right. I remember that because Vancouver holds such a special place in my heart. Um, I was in Calgary, spent a lot of time in Vancouver. Yeah, I feel like on the West Coast, like in California, especially, and then it trickles down into Arizona just because the weather is so warm and because we get all these Hollywood things <laughs> in our head. Like a lot of people are just very image focused, and I didn't find that as much in Calgary. And so that was really big for me to just kind of get out of my head and stop worrying about what I look like or worrying about what other people think I look like. Yeah, that ultimately led to just so much growth and and healing for me. Yeah, although my journey was quite unconventional, like in the eating disorder sense, I think a lot of the aspects of it can really be useful to anybody, no matter where they're at. Certain things like getting out of your environment. And I firmly believe that the biggest aspect of your environment is the people you surround yourself with or simply connecting to nature, spending time outside. I mean, that has like huge profound effects, positive effects on our mental health. Those kinds of things are ultimately what led to just a big, beautiful journey. Oh, and it has been such a joy watching you on this journey. Okay. I want to rewind back and touch on a few of the key points of your story. I know that there were probably a lot of what I call TSN turning points in your story, but beginning at 11 years old, which now having a daughter who's three, almost four, I'm like, 11 is so young to be starting to exhibit some of these behaviors around food. I noticed on your social page that you mentioned that you started doing dance and ballet in particular, which really fed into your desire to have control and to do things perfectly. And there's absolutely with ballet, a lot of structure and rigidity involved. So I imagine that a part of you was really drawn to that, but you talk about the struggle that also came from dance. It resonated so much with me because I absolutely loved dance in high school and did all the different kinds, but spending so much time in front of the mirror and so much focus on your body and what it looks like also really fed into my natural tendency to develop an eating disorder. Do you think that there is space for girls to still do these things without coming out of it, obsessed with their body image and, and falling into that sort of mind space? That's a really difficult question. I'm I'm really glad that you approached it from a perspective of like both, like honoring both of the experiences, like on one hand, it being like the most joyful experience of my life is like dancing and practice and on stage and even the structure of ballet and the, the beauty that lies in it. Like, obviously those are all such extraordinary just such like such a great hobby to pursue for anybody right and then on the other hand like you're 
first of all, entice in a leotard and staring at yourself in a mirror multiple hours a day. And depending on who your ballet teacher is, they're probably not as educated on the effects of body image, which is so ironic because they probably experienced it themselves too. But again, it's just so normalized. So that's a very difficult question. I would say, yes, there is a way. And I think a big part of that involves educating our educators Mm. and the people who spend the most time with our children, because I think they could have just such a big influence. And for me, for example, like I had great teachers, again, this is the experience of both. Like I had dance teachers that were like my second mom. Uh, I spent so much time with them. Right. And I'm not in any way, shape or form shaming them or telling them they were awful or they ruined my life. But similar to my mom with her own body image concerns, whether that's about weight or aging or my mom had a big thing with her hair, like so many things, right? Of course, I still picked up on some of that. So my teachers, like, you know, my ballet teacher was a very stereotypical ballet teacher, you know, and certain things in ballet are always like, keep your tummy tight. And depending on where your, your mindset is at, you can take that as just like, tighten your core, right? Like things that they teach us in any yoga, Pilates or dance class, whatever. Or if you're already in the mindset of like, I'm big. Why is she telling me to keep my tummy in? Well, like that just goes into a spiral. And so again, we just have to find ways to, I guess, educate our educators and phrasing. I had another teacher that same thing, like such a big part of my life. We're still good friends on Facebook. I'm just so grateful for her, but she was also, and still is very, very, very obsessed with fitness and especially like running and spinning. So it was like these very intense cardio things. And I actually used to go to the gym with her before class So like loved her to death, but it was just like, if only we could decrease the, I suppose the focus that we put on our bodies when it comes Mm -hmm. to these things, I, there's a yoga studio that I love, which I can't wait to go back to after this pandemonium, (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't have mirrors. I love that. And they say yeah. like, uh, yoga is not about looking at yourself in downward dog. That's weird. Um, <laughs> right. But we don't see it as weird. Every single group fitness class has mirrors. And yes. so even just a simple tweak like that, I feel so much better in that class than I do in any other one. I've had yoga teachers and same with dance teachers. They, they really do focus on the looks instead of the feel and the form and the whatever. Yeah. So yeah, I do think it's possible. It's just going to take a little bit. I think it's going to it's going to be a combination of like some micro level training, yes, with our educators and some like macro big societal shifts. So yeah, it's hard. I I feel bad like saying my sister's 12 as I mentioned and she very recently stopped dancing and she says it's because it doesn't interest her and you know, I just I, I know how how rough it can get in that world. And so it could be a combination of different things. Maybe she doesn't like the class and that is the truth, but maybe there is this aspect of body image and feeling so pressured and, you know, it is really, really tough. I think there's a statistic and I can't remember exactly what it is, but I'll make sure that I share it in the show notes about the number of girls who drop out of sports, team sports and the activities that they love around the age that your sister is, or even younger because of body image concerns. And that the reality is that these activities that they're doing also have the potential to really help them build confidence and self-esteem and a love for movement. And yet, because they're not feeling like their body fits in, they don't feel like there's a space for them. One of the things that I often think about with dance 
from, I mean, my mom tells me that when I was two years old, I used to walk around on my tiptoes. When music comes on, I cannot help but move my body. I still, to this day, love dance. But after having my eating disorder, I have never gone back to a formalized dance class. I have even talking about it. Like I start to feel emotional and tightness in my chest because it is a space where everything started to go downhill for me. Yeah. And yet at the same time, how unfortunate to no longer feel comfortable participating in something that did bring me so much joy. Even just having this conversation out loud right now and saying it, I'm like, I need to get my ass back into a dance class and just do it because I know that I can get through that. But I think about this world of dance. And when we look at like the top ballerinas or the top dance performers, they all have a very similar body. Mm -hmm. And so when we see at a, at a, higher level, everyone looking a certain way, we start to believe that that's the way that we need to be in order to be successful in that sport. So I think it would be so amazing to continue to see women with different body types dancing at a high level in music videos, like on the stages with our favorite Mm -hmm. performers and artists and, and even on the ballet stage, how incredible would that be? And how many doors would that open for more girls to continue to do what they love without feeling like they have to go to a spin class before they do their hours of Mm. dance training, you know, which is what I literally used to do. And Aaron, when you say like, I get emotional thinking about it, that is my reaction. And there's a ballet class and they, they limit the capacity and it's all like masked and everything. And I recently found the courage to pop in there every so often. And it's like a hard ass. It's at ballet Arizona. Um, So it's like, studio it's intense (laughs) and the only class that like I can like that the time that works for me is the advanced class so I pop in there and this guy and girl are there from the New York City ballet they're literally (laughs) prima ballerinas this man spins seven times in the air before landing flawlessly on his knee oh my god Um, like it's intense (laughs) and and I'm just there and but it's really interesting. I I really want to encourage you to like take a class, whether it's even at home or somewhere, Mm -hmm. whatever, even Zumba, like it's really interesting to have like a new mindset and a new manner of self-talk because it's not the first thought that you think. Cause obviously my first thought is I suck. Everybody's better than me, but it's (laughs) the follow-up thought, right. That matters the most, um, which is like, how do you talk yourself through that? And so for me, what like ballet has opened up like going back to ballet has opened up so many more doors for me just from a girl perspective is just giving myself permission to not have to be perfect and Mm -hmm. to actually let myself be really bad (laughs) and that's the thing is I know I would go back now and I would be bad and that feels hard when you know you were so good at one point but I think you're right it is such an opportunity for growth and to challenge those limiting beliefs I know limiting beliefs, negative self-talk, the inner mean girl, I call her your fearful friend, is something that a lot of women struggle with. And mm-hmm. I asked a question on our IG stories the other day as to, you know, what are what are you here for? What, why are you following along on the Raw Beauty Talks Instagram feed? And the number one thing people said was self-love. So then my next question was, well, what does self-love mean to these women, to these girls? Like, is that are they thinking self-care? Are they thinking a gentler conversation in their mind? I have a feeling that for a lot of them, it's that negative self-talk. It's the comparison, the judgment, 
the inner conflict that they're experiencing. So on this conversation of moving yourself through those beliefs, oh, I suck at this. I'm not good at this. I can't do this. She's so much better than me. She has more than me. I'm not good enough. What's your process like in overcoming those thoughts? I love your questions. They're so good. I have a whole chapter in my book about self-talk because you're right. It is one of the most important parts. And I think it goes beyond like self-love. It's just something that is always, always, always a practice for all of us, no matter where we're at. And so I have a lot of different ways that I approach self-talk. My, my number one, like first motto is don't believe everything you think. So I'm sure we've all heard that because it's catchy and funny. Awesome. But what does that really mean? Well, to me, it's kind of like when I, when I think something that may not be unsupportive, I have like an almost passive aggressive reaction to it, which actually kind of helps me because I like how you call it the fearful friend, you know, like my fearful friend gets even more fearful, the more I try to positive talk you know, her out of existence. Yeah, right. No, you're fine. You're okay. Yeah. Yeah. And she's no. like, fuck off. What are you talking about? Like, I almost have to like meet her where she's at. And I think everybody has different ways to talk to themselves. You know, I, I do this combination of like being really kind and compassionate, but also like some tough love. And so anyways, what I, what I like to, to say to myself is I'll be like, Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Where'd you come up with that? Like almost sarcastically. I love or, it cool or like thanks for telling me like whatever and so just like that little piece of like almost thanking it or like you know the gentler approach to that would be like thank you for trying to keep me safe but I'm okay for now I feel like this sounds a little bit cheesy but it really really does work having those those little signals right I'm wondering what is what do you do on that first like well I think I think you you nailed it I have a whole episode on how to navigate this fearful friend and sort of my process around it and how I work with clients on it. But I think the first step is it, for me, at least was even really recognizing that I had this inner voice that was fear-based, that was terrified of not fitting in, not doing things perfectly, not looking my absolute best. And so I decided to personify her and to actually give her a name and to think about like, what does this version of myself or this fearful friend look like actually creating a character. And so for me, that, that inner fearful friend was just so perfect and unrelatable and like annoyingly perfect. And I had to ask myself, do I want to be this person? Like, is that how I want to show up in life? Is that how I really connect with people? Like, is that my life path? And the truth is, no, that's not that's not who I want to be. And that's not how I want to show up. So the first step was just really identifying like, who is this fearful friend? Where did she come from? Why is she here? And what is she trying to protect me from? Because the reason for me that I don't call it inner mean girl or, or that fearful friend felt like a better fit is that for most people, those thoughts are fear-based. It's something that we are deeply afraid of. And so when you understand that, you can do that self-talk a little differently. 
you can, you can approach it a little bit. Okay. Gotcha. So I understand you're feeling uncomfortable going out in this new outfit because people might think like, what's wrong with her? What's the style about? Or you don't want to share that picture because you're worried about judgment. But like, remember, we don't want to be that girl who's always perfect. We don't want to live our life like in this narrow little box where everything has to be. And so exactly what you said, having that, that moment when you start to notice that my fearful friends back in the driver's seat where you're like, nah, you're not steering this car. You can get in the passenger seat and we're actually just going to put the outfit on or just going to go to the ballet class, or we're just going to do the thing that we're scared of. So Mm -hmm. I love that. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that really don't help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversation, and Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teachings so you're ready to practice what you learned in the real world. If you're heading to another country, Country anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. That's spelled B A B B E L com slash Robbie Talks. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all face, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friends. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code rawbeautytalks at checkout. Lolavie is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at lolavie.com with promo code rawbeautytalks. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you over. Pressing pause for a moment to ask you some questions. Be honest with me. Put up your hand, not if you're driving, of course, put up your hand if you're feeling a little out of control around food these days. You constantly find yourself in the kitchen snacking or eating when you know you're not really hungry. Put up your hand if you feel unhappy with your body. You get dressed in the morning or you're getting ready to go out and you feel totally discouraged by what you see in the mirror. Put your hand up if you are struggling to find the motivation to stay active or to move your body or really to live any of the habits that you know you want to be living, but you just can't seem to get into the groove. 
If you put your hand up for any of those things, I want to invite you to join me at my free live training, Five Steps to End the Battle with Food and Your Body. This is a free training. You can find the link to sign up in the show notes down below. And in this training, I'm going to walk you through the exact steps I took to change my relationship to food and my body forever. No dieting, no insane workout schedule. It's perfect for anybody who's ready to step away from the exhausting cycle of dieting and overeating and then dieting again, only to feel like nothing is working for you. Or maybe you're trapped always thinking about food and your body and you know that it's holding you back from living your fullest life. If any of this is resonating, please do yourself a favor. Click the link in the show notes down below. Come hang out with me for one of my free one hour trainings. I can't wait to see you there. Can you take me back in your journey, being conscious of not giving anybody tactics to use? Because when we're in a space of an eating disorder, we can find, you know, various tips from people or stories can really help sort of further perpetuate the habits that we were in. But I want to go back to this point where you were struggling with bulimia, which I don't think is talked about that often. And one of the questions that I've heard is like, how did, how did people around you not know Mm. that you were doing this? Like, or did they know? And people just turned a blind eye. Did you think that it was okay to be making yourself throw up? Like, was that just normalized or what was going on in your mind during that time? Mm. Well, firstly, bulimia doesn't necessarily have to be throwing up, it could be purging of any type. So a lot of people abuse laxatives, which was a big thing for me. Um, A lot of people also like try to over exercise or overcompensate. And that is also like a form of purging. And I did a combination of all of the above each one in a specific dose so that it wouldn't be too suspicious. That's the short kind of sick answer. But the, the longer answer is that you probably know, but I think we are all surprised at how humans just turn a blind eye when things get uncomfortable. And I, I think that goes for, you know, having uncomfortable conversations, like how, how much do we put something off that's bothering us in our relationship, just because we're just so scared to bring it up or rock the boat or even, you know, saying something to our friend or, or making like a career move. Like we are so afraid to shake up Pandora's box. And I think that's in regards to your question of like, how did people not know? I'm sure there were some people that were like, I don't know, maybe Mary spends too much time at the gym, maybe. But at the same time, it's like, I think with, with diet culture, so many of these things are normalized and admired. And I think what I got most from people is like, how did you do it? Teach me. Totally. Um, And it's one of those things that's like, when you have this quote unquote, perfect body, people think that your whole life is perfect because that's the expectation that we, we have of ourselves, of others, of models on Instagram or in magazines, right? Like we think like, how could you have problems? And you look like that because so many things just seem to tie back to that in our heads. And yeah, I think the answer to that is every way how somebody approaches you or treats you is just a projection of how they feel about themselves. Until I don't think I had anybody in my life that was not in diet culture. I think, yeah, being so aware of it now, like if my sister has any signs, I am like, all right, 
we got to talk, right? Um, but if I was still stuck in that, I would probably be contributing to the problem, which is right. what I found in the majority of people around me, including the men in my life. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> it it sucks. is. As, as you said, it's so ingrained in our culture that it's like, I remember going to the gym before my dance class classes as well. And it being like, wow, you're so dedicated and you're working so hard towards your dream. And it was really applauded until we t- I took it too far. And then people started asking questions, but this, this part about having the difficult conversations, it is, you're right. It's so hard for people. And I'm seeing this right now in regards to sexual assault. I'm seeing this in regards to men being called to have hard conversations with other men about behaviors. I'm seeing this in regards to women noticing something's up with their girlfriend, but not knowing how to approach it or how to have that hard conversation. So in the realm of disordered eating, eating disorders, mm-hmm. diet culture. What do you wish somebody would have said to you back then? Would you have been receptive of it? Like, how do we support our girlfriends that we know are, are heading down a slippery slope? Mm, I get this question so, so much. I did make a podcast episode on it on my podcast, but I, I feel like it doesn't even do it justice or the topic because it's so obviously there's many directions you can go and it depends on your relationship with the person and you know, what the boundary situation looks like, how close you are. Like it's, it's tough. And so I think obviously we need to use social and emotional intelligence before taking any kind of advice. But I think when it comes to like girlfriends, if you see that somebody is struggling, I think the biggest thing you can do is at the very least try not to contribute to it. So for example, if your girlfriend's like, Oh, I feel so fat. I need to lose weight instead of panicking and turning the conversation around on yourself and being like, Oh no, I'm fat. You're great. That is not helpful. You're still contributing to it. Um, oh my gosh. I think we've all been there though, right? Where you're like, right? no, no, you look amazing. I'm the one who's. <laughs> yeah, right. And like, it's just not helpful at all. And so instead just being really, and again, this protects you too. I mean, just being really firm on like, Hey, can we promise to only say kind things about ourselves and each other and not talk to ourselves that way? And something that I've actually found that works really well in my relationship is the sound selfish, but really making it about myself and being like, Hey, I'm on this self-love journey and I'm trying to, you know, have more body acceptance. And the biggest way that I'm trying to do that is by watching what I say and, and the language I use and, you know, really just using all the tools and just in a nutshell expressing that. And I think when you make it about yourself, like it's, it's a little softer. You're not like explicitly targeting the person and it actually helps them like be like, Oh, wait, what? (laughs) Maybe I could do this too. Or, or just some, the, the biggest compliment that I receive that sounded so not humble. (laughs) Um, No, tell us, (laughs) tell us. Yes. I want to hear this. It's not the biggest compliment I received, but the compliment that means the most to me. Yes. I love when, whether it's somebody on social media or even a friend or, you know, when I was dating, this was like music to my ears. Oh my gosh. Before I started dating boyfriend, I went on this date. It was pretty bad. It was not great, but we kind of just kept the conversation going. And at the end of dinner, we went out for tacos at the end of dinner, they had this special, which was like a coconut cream 
pie. And this pie was a very large pie. And I'm not going to turn down some great pie. And I <laughs> killed the whole thing basically yeah, on my own. And he was like, wow, like you're the only girl I've ever seen like eat like that. And I was like, okay, I don't know what to say to that. And he's like, no, 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 I love it. It's like, you're a breath of fresh air. Mm. And that's the, the words, like when I, when I think about like, what kind of person do I want to show up as that's the kind of person I want to show up as. And so when you're in relationship, especially with your girlfriends, you want to be that breath of fresh air for your girlfriends. And how can you do that? Well, for one, don't make it about how they look, hype up your girlfriends uh, for things beyond what they look like. If you see somebody or hear somebody talking shit to themselves, barge in and interrupt that shit and almost like be that for lack of better words bad bitch best friend that's going to say something and again it just depends on how you approach it the more you tell yourself oh this is so scary and awkward the more scary and awkward it's going to be but if you approach it from like wait a second this is my opportunity to actually project outwards everything i've been i've been practicing inwards now is my time to shine. Like, watch out. This is going to be so empowering for the both of us. And it usually always is. 2020 has definitely elevated the relationships that I do have, the ones that are actually meant to stay there. But man, has it involved some tough as shit conversations with my best friend. Everything from like, venting to each other and being like, you've been a shitty friend and I don't like it to I'm just really struggling right now. And and please be so compassionate with my mental health. Like everything in between has happened between me and my best friend. Wow. I actually have not shared about this publicly just for privacy, but long story short is that it's only made our relationship closer. And I think we're all here to connect and yeah, the more we're that friend, that person just in people's lives, that is a breath of fresh air. It's just, it's just such a ripple effect. I love this term, a breath of fresh air. I've heard it a million times, but for whatever reason, the way that you just said it, I mean, it resonates. It's like, I want to be that too for individuals. When we all start talking about like how we're looking so old or so tired, it's like, I want to be the breath of fresh air in the room. That's like, we are so much more than these new wrinkles that are coming or that extra 10 pounds that we gained over this period of time. And what an incredible uh, amount of permission that gives those that we love to just show up as they are, right? That is what I would want to hear as well. So thank you for sharing that. I am putting my bad bitch best friend hat on and showing up as the breath of fresh air that I want to be and I need for those around me. So I absolutely love that. And you're right. It's like we make these hard conversations into so much more than they will really be once we start having that conversation, if it's coming from a place of love and caring. And often when it comes to the the weight piece or the, the food piece, we don't have to bring up the way that they look. We can say, Hey, I just noticed that you're not feeling, you don't seem like yourself or you seem a little bit lower. And I just wanted to check in, like, how are you doing? It's been a rough year. And how are you feeling? Like, you know, your relationship with food is, I know sometimes you turn to that or lean on that when things get sticky, just bringing it up more from that perspective as well. Okay. So looking at your life story again, you have bulimia. Now you're in this place where you're being celebrated for your body 
and your fitness, not only just a, like given praise for it, but you're actually sponsored by a huge company for this body, but yet, you know, things are crumbling and falling apart. And this, there's this part of you that's like, this isn't working. I can't uphold this. I think as a coach, one of the most challenging points for a woman is this place of this isn't working. And I know I need to let go, but oh my God, I'm clinging. Like Mm. I'm clinging. I want recovery, but I'm not ready to let go of the dream of the body that I want. I want to find food freedom, but oh my God, I'm terrified of gaining the weight. I want this, but I'm so scared. And so I really find for a lot of clients, like the speed at which recovery happens and they find food freedom, it hinges on how long they cling to that cliff. So for you, when you're getting sponsored and paid and your purpose is now tied to your body, how the hell do you let go? How the hell do you start shifting into this space of self-love and okay, I'm, I'm going to let my body shift and change. And I'm going to risk all losing all of this affirmation that I'm receiving and, you know, where I've placed so much of my purpose and sense of being talk to me about that process. Mm, Yeah, it gets so intertwined with your identity. And anytime anything gets intertwined with your identity, whether it's a relationship or a job or children or body, how something looks, right, it becomes that much harder to let it go. And I will say it was through blood, sweat and tears. I mean, it was not pretty. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what was uglier, like my actual eating disorder or recovery. (laughs) Recovery. Right? It's just so... It's a lot. It is a lot. You're shedding all these layers of yourself. Um, I want to talk about recovery. Like I want to talk about that process of your body starting to change Mm -hmm. you deciding. Cause at some level you had to decide like, this isn't, this isn't working. I've kind of got to let go of this quote unquote, perfect body, whatever that is. And I'm going to choose to start feeding myself and I'm going to stop the purging So you mentioned you went to a naturopath, she started pumping you up with some vitamins and you just started talking and having conversations. How did you stop the purging? Well, so, okay. I, again, so unconventional. This is not like, I'm not a psychologist, so this may be totally (laughs) off the hand advice, but how it worked out for me personally is going back to like what you were saying about self-talk and thoughts, right? You don't have to believe everything you think, and you also don't have to act on everything you think. And so going into this, I knew that what constitutes an eating disorder, I mean, a medical clinical eating disorder is not necessarily what you're thinking, but what you're doing. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to employ all that willpower that I used to use on 5am fasted cardio sessions and instead fuel into promising myself that I will not do that. And I remember my naturopath also, she competed in fitness competitions back in her day. And I remember she just kind of spoke my language. She was like, whatever you do, don't do cardio. (laughs) And I know it seems like, you know, for some people it could be anything, but she's like, I don't care how much you binge ate. And the part I didn't tell you is at this point, I I was trying to stop the purging. I was still binge eating like crazy because my body was trying to refeed itself. My soul was starting. I was depressed. It was a combination of all of these things. So 
I think before I used to say like I had a binge eating disorder and now I know that it was just a very natural response to years of restriction, both physical and psychological. So anyways, I remember just making these little promises to myself and the promises, I I think the diet cycle is very much like restrict, binge, feel guilty, hate yourself, restrict again. And so I'm like, which part of this cycle can I break? Because you have to break it somewhere. Well, you can't break it at the binge part because clearly it's coming from restricting. You might be really difficult to break the guilt part because you've been taught your whole life to feel guilty. But the thing that you can do is promise yourself that you will not restrict or in my, my case, I will not restrict or purge. So I came to a breaking point where I'm like, I don't care how much weight I gained. And I gained a lot of weight in a very short amount of time. And it hurt, not just mentally, but it like physically just hurt. Mm -hmm. I remember it. And I remember thinking like, I'm very like, how do I say it? Like, I, I don't know if extreme is the right word, but I'm definitely very like committed. And I, I do like, I get into things really fast. And I try to get through things really fast. And the way I do that is I, I kind of make these promises to myself where I have no option but to keep that promise. Wow. And so I just kept telling myself that the only way out is through and that the more I try to restrict, the worse it's going to get, which is the truth. And of course, there were times when I, I fell in and I, I did fasted cardio and I tried to ignore my hunger cues and have an apple instead. Like, of yeah. course, I tried all of those things and they kept failing every single time. And so over the years, it got easier and easier to one, practice that self-talk of like, okay, Mary, you know what's going to happen if you ignore your craving, it's just going to lead to more cravings and then a binge, maybe just have the cookie now Yes, and just, yeah, starting to get to know yourself and like, what is going to set you off. And it is very, I think it's a very individual and difficult uh, process, but for me, like I, I tried to kind of meet myself where I was at. And the first part to that was like, no matter what, you're not doing cardio, no matter what, you're not skipping breakfast. That was another part of one of my promises. Because I think especially after a binge, skipping breakfast feels like so natural, right? You don't even want to eat in the mornings. Yeah. And it probably feels so good to just have coffee and then poop and then decide that your life is all put together when it's not. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) I mean, good old coffee and a poop fixes everything. (laughs) Right. But I mean, like, that's literally the mindset I would approach things at. I mean, it's hilarious thinking about it. But even till this day, I mean, sometimes if you, you, I don't know, you go out to eat, have a big meal, you wake up the next morning, you're like, I don't want till this day. I'm like, no, I know myself. I know my brain. I'm going to have breakfast. Yeah. And so, so you have to like decide what those promises are that you're going to keep to yourself. What are the like top two or three things that you can do and commit to every single day? Just like those, no matter what, I don't know if, anybody else calls them that, but that's the the words that would pop up in my head. It would yes. be no matter what. I feel like you are so disciplined. Like when you decide on something, you have incredible discipline around it, whether it's I'm losing weight or I'm getting over this eating disorder or whatever it is, you set your mind to it and you accomplish that thing, which is a really beautiful trait that you carry when used to support yourself. And it's now allowing you to support so many others. What you just said is, is so powerful because in this cycle of dieting, which, you know, 65% of women struggle with, uh, in some capacity at varying levels, 
as you said, it often starts off with a binge or overeating, which can look so different for whoever you're talking to, followed by the restriction, followed by the overeating or the binging, followed by the guilt and the shame and start cycling back into the restriction. Most people feel like their problem is the overeating or binging Mm -hmm. and that they've got to get that under control. So we turn to diets or we turn to cleanses or whatever, the newest wellness plan, or I'm going vegan, or I'm only eating whole foods, whatever it is, but you nailed it. Where we really heal our relationship with food is in stopping the restriction. It is stopping the over-exercising. It is giving ourselves permission to eat. And Mm -hmm. I have what we call in the Raw Beauty Reset, our golden guidelines. The first golden guideline is to eat something within an hour of waking up. So to have breakfast, no matter what. I love that. See, these rules in, in regards to discipline, I think that in the recovery space, we think of discipline in a very negative way, Yeah. right? But you don't understand like how powerful your mind is and how strong you are. And you can also fuel that into healing. And I guess I've never thought of it that way until you said that. But I think sometimes the things that require the most discipline are things like resting before you're tired, not when you're already exhausted Yes. or eating breakfast or going on a walk instead of a run. Like sometimes those things are actually what require more of you. And we confuse them with, with the other stereotypical discipline type of things, you know, like the, the very, I I call it like masculine energy, like go, go achieve. And those can just be toxic. And and one last note that I want to add in the restriction piece is another thing that I was really big on is, and I found this with myself and with the people who come to my retreats, they're like, I eat enough. Why am I still struggling or binge eating or whatever? And I'm like, well, because mental restriction is also restriction. Like your body, your brain, they don't know the difference between you actually skipping breakfast or thinking about skipping breakfast because they're scared. (laughs) They don't want to go through that shit again. They're like, no, we're not going to risk it this time because we know this girl, like she is weird. No, Um, (laughs) um, but truly like mental, emotional restriction is also restriction. So anytime you, you don't speak your mind or, or you feel like you've sacrificed so much of your time, energy, and attention for people who don't appreciate you or anytime you're, you're holding back and you're not like living that out. And I know that's a little bit more esoteric and woo woo, so to speak, but it is true. I think those things contribute to that feeling of like that. I I describe it as very frantic energy that we get around food, especially at night after a long day, we're stressed. We need this release and food just happens to be there. Whereas in reality, if we're a little bit more proactive about eating breakfast, for example, that is very simple or having boundaries or having an hour after work to rest and decompress. Or one little thing I used to work on with my clients who struggled with binge eating is like, I would ask them like, where do you park your car when you get home from work? And they're like, I park in the garage. I go through the garage and this, it was like this at my old house, but my garage was connected to my kitchen. And most of my clients were like, I go to the kitchen and I get a snack. Yes. And I'm like, okay, well, what if you parked on the other side of the street? And instead of walking through the garage, you walk through the front door just to like break, break a a pattern. pattern. Yeah. And just causing yourself to slow down a little bit. Or what if you just took a a deep breath before you ate? A lot of people ignore those little things, but I I said on an earlier podcast I was on today, 
sometimes all it takes is slowing the fuck down. Yeah. Honestly, that is huge is, is the speed at which we're moving right now, which doesn't allow us to consciously make choices. Mm -hmm. And when we're moving in these, in the unconscious and moving really quickly, we, we just fall into our patterns, right? Straight into the door after work and into the kitchen or dinner's finished. I'm going to watch Netflix and have a snack or whatever it is. None of those things being bad, but if we're repeating the pattern over and over again, and it's not necessarily feeling aligned, then we can bet in a few weeks and a couple of years and a lifetime, it's not necessarily going to lead us down the path where we want to be. Mary, you wrote a beautiful book dedicated to your little sister called The Gift of Self-Love. It's a workbook to help women, girls build confidence, recognize their worth, uh, learn to finally truly love themselves. What does self-love mean to you? Mm. To me, self-love is this, I called, we called the book The Gift of Self-Love and the last sentence ends with that. But to me, it's all about this combination of a cyclical and also a ripple effect of, as cliche as it sounds, the more love you give to yourself, the more you have to give to others. Some of the last couple sentences of the book, spoiler alert, is more about like, when you help others, you're also helping yourself and vice versa. When you empower others, you inevitably are empowering yourself, just like we talked about when it comes to talking with our girlfriends. All of that combines to give the gift of self-love, not just to yourself, but everybody. And I always joke that a lot of people think that there's like two separate tanks. Like this is what I have to give to others. And this is what I have to give to myself. When in reality, it's all coming from one tank. And that's the tank we have to keep filling and and refilling and making sure it's abundant enough to overflow to others. So the gift of self-love was my way of kind of taking this out there abstract concept of self-love that looks really cute on an Instagram quote Mm -hmm. um, and bringing it into a very practical workbook. And the reason why it's a workbook is because I host retreats. That's kind of like my, my thing, my specialty. And so I really wanted to bring something to paper that's just affordable and accessible and really feels like you are attending one of my workshops that gives you like actual practical, tactical tools for self-love that don't feel too out there and also don't feel like self-love is another thing you're failing at. Because I think, yeah, I think when we get into Instagram and and following bloggers and uh, wellness people, I think, you know, it feels like unless I'm having a matcha green tea latte every morning and meditating and doing yoga and, and journaling and it all looks pretty, then I'm not practicing self-love when in reality, it's so not about that. So anyways, the book expands into so many topics of self-love, including mindset and empowerment and relationships and sex and intimacy. And Mm. there's two solid body image chapters and intuitive eating and, you know, food freedom and a lot to do with not letting how you think you look influence how you actually live your life. Oh, I cannot wait to get my hands on a copy and we will obviously share the link to this beautiful workbook in the show notes. I think everybody needs to grab a coffee, copy, grab a coffee and a copy of the book, uh, or sit down with your cup of tea, 
Thank you so much for joining us today. I am looking at you through the Zoom screen into those beautiful eyes, and I'm confirming you are a freaking breath of fresh air. It has been absolutely so special to have this conversation with you. Thank you for sharing your gifts to the world and your journey with the world so vulnerably. I can't wait to see you some point in person, whether it's at one of your retreats or at a raw beauty event or wherever it is. I can't wait till our paths cross in person. Oh, me neither. I received that with so much love. Thank you, Erin. This has been wonderful. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to copy the link or send it on over to somebody that you love to help share uh, the beautiful message that Mary is pouring out into the world. Take what feels like it resonates, leaves the rest behind. I will see you beauties next week. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com slash listen or on your favorite podcast platform.